Welcome to A Meaningful Mess, a podcast for educators who want to engage and empower gifted learners. Whether you specifically serve gifted learners, have gifted learners in your classroom, or just want to know more about what gifted learners need from the school experience, you are in the right place. I'm Andy McNair, and I'm a keynote speaker, author, educator, and mom of my own gifted kiddos. And I know that teaching gifted learners can be challenging. But you know what? It's also incredibly rewarding. Throughout this podcast, I'll share practical ideas and strategies that will help you create a meaningful and engaging learning experience for your gifted students. I'll also talk about Genius Hour, a powerful approach to learning that can help learners explore their passion and purpose as they develop their talents. So if you're looking for ways to reach your gifted learners, I invite you to join me on this journey. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, you guys, and welcome to episode 83 of A Meaningful Mess podcast. I am excited about this episode because I have a special guest here with me. If you were hanging out on Instagram this week, you may have seen my conversation with Julie Lee, also known as Socratic Sister on Instagram, and we'll talk a little bit about how you can connect with her. But Julie is here to share with us about um, Socratic seminars, why they're important, how you can make them happen in your classroom, and I still have a lot to learn about Socratic seminars. So, Julie, I am so excited that you're here. Will you tell the Meaningful Mess community kind of who you are and about the work that you do in the classroom? Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a I'm a teacher in um, Texas, and I uh, have GT groups all day. I just do exclusively GT at my school. We have a lot of elementary schools. There's one of us at each school. And I do a lot of Socratic seminars. I try to use the Socratic method in a multiple in multiple different ways uh, in my classroom. And I have pull out of GT students and I have push in with GT students. Perfect. Um, your your job sounds very similar to what I did before I left the classroom and did, did the work that I do now with teachers. So I think we have a lot in common. Um, so before we get started, before we kind of get into a lot of the details about Socratic seminars, let's just start with the basic question of what is a Socratic seminar? What is it kind of based on? Explain to us a little bit about what it is before we go any further. Well, I guess Obviously, the Socratic method came from Socrates and his <laughs> his way of just asking questions rather than teaching. He felt like students could explore and find their own answers. And so in my classroom, it's academic conversations where and I really stress the safety and the protected environment of talking to one another um, in small groups. Now, I don't make my group super small, but we can talk about that later. Um, where kids share ideas about what they have read or what they've learned or whatever the topic is and the safety of no wrong answers. That's so important. I think that safety in the classroom, I think we oftentimes talk about that. Like, what does that safety look like? What are some ways that you prioritize that or you help your learners know that it is a safe space when you guys are doing a Socratic seminar experience? I think it's really important to emphasize it every time you have a Socratic seminar not like at the beginning and then just hope it rolls along. Okay. I think, um, cause it won't, right. <laughs> I, think, I think the safety part comes, comes apart, comes part, part of the conversation every single time you get together to have a Socratic seminar and just the emphasis of, you know, basic things like not insulting one another or 
<clears throat> just how we answer kindly to one another or disagree politely and, and how we disagree. And once the kids see that in action and believe that it's safe, then it is safe. Oh, that's good. I love that you said when they believe that it's safe, because that really is, I think sometimes in the classroom, we can tend to say like, you know, yes, my classroom is a safe place, or of course we make sure that it's a safe place. But if your students don't believe it's a safe place, then it's not. <laughs> but absolutely, the, the opposite is also true. When, when they do believe that it's a safe place, it is. It's so good. I love that. Um, okay. So on Instagram this week, I was really, um, I, I shared that you were one of the first people I thought of because what I was talking about was not specifically Socratic seminars, but I was talking about getting our learners to ask more questions in the classroom. I think so often we focus on the questions we're going to ask as teachers. And while that's important, it's also really important that we consider how to get our learners to a place where they are asking better, deeper questions. So my next question is, how does this method, Socratic seminar, encourage learners to ask better questions, deeper questions? What does that look like? Well, first, I think um, they, they have to begin to realize that asking the big questions allows them more freedom. Mm. And when they ask, you know, thin little skinny questions, I don't know what else to, <clears throat> what I what else to call it, closed questions, they realize that that their conversations are very short and their freedom's cut off because they're not allowed to talk any further, the answer's over. And mm -hmm. so having them realize that, hey, this is really fun to talk to each other without the teacher and we're in charge. And then they realize their questions are an important part um, of our day. It's an important part of what, what we do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they dig deeper and they, they get to see firsthand that their questions are truly the heart of the discussion. Yeah, those questions that our learners ask, I love that they are starting to realize that I, that idea of their freedom is taking, taken away when they ask those closed questions and it's just yes, no, or a one word answer. And I think they become really reliant on those closed ended questions the more they're in school because they recognize like, oh, if I ask a yes, no, or one word you know, question, I just get the answer where what we really want them to do is not just ask for the answer, but to really to deepen their understanding of whatever it is that they're learning. They have to ask those how and why questions. So I think um, that idea of letting them notice that for themselves is so important. I think we can tell them that yeah. all day long, but unless they experience it and figure out what it means for them, which I think is what the Socratic seminar does. So I love that. We talked a little bit about this, um, preparing them for a positive Socratic seminar experience as you were sharing that safe space. But I do think for a lot of teachers, this might be something that they're implementing for the first time, or mm -hmm. maybe it's something that their learners haven't done. So if that's the case, if this is different than what they typically do in the classroom, are there some specific ways that you might share that educators could prepare learners for a positive Socratic seminar experience? Sure. Um, I think a lot of times when we try something new and we're we're a little nervous about it, too, and we're not sure how the kids are going to feel about it. It's kind of hard to sell it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they like you're not positive about it. Well, I certainly wasn't positive about it the first time that I did it. It happened really quickly, though. They caught on so fast, surprisingly. But what I did, I think that really worked was I, I sold it to them. And I, I wasn't lying to them. I wasn't making it, up, you know, like it was a big deal. And it wasn't. I told them that this is what older kids do. And, you know, and I'm talking about Socratic seminars in elementary school, which can happen and do happen all the time. 
of course, junior high and high school kids can do this. They obviously can. But when elementary school kids learn that they can do something that the bigger kids can do, or even junior high kids learn that this is what college kids do and high school kids, older kids can do this and you can do this too. They begin mm-hmm. to, they begin to think, oh, okay, she believes I can do this, you know? And so they, they begin to um, buy into it. And so then I think just choosing the right material for the Socratic seminar, choosing um, good literature, I honestly tell every teacher I ever helped train in this method that they need to choose their favorite books because their favorite books are going to come across as, you know, the best things to talk about. And it's a great way to start because you're familiar with the book and you, whether it's a math, you know, storybook or a social studies storybook, I think teachers need to choose literature that they are in love with so that they can pass that on to the kids. So start with something that you're very passionate about. And then I usually like, I went straight to blooms. I usually go straight to blooms or whatever taxonomy works for you. And then I, I choose words that are on the, you know, the, the end part, the, like the top, uh, the ends three of the six levels um, where the kids are using critical thinking and, and going deeper in the questions and use those words and create my own topics for the kids to discuss. And then once I've modeled those for the, for the students slowly, but surely I train them to write them because that's where all the power is when the kids are writing their own, their own topics. But um, encouraging metacognition with the kids, as far as like, think about your question, think about how we could, how we could have a conversation about your question or your topic and what do you think we might say and how do you think it will go? Will it end quickly or will we go into a, you know, like a deeper conversation and just giving them tools that teachers need um, to write good questions as well. And then just some really positive conversations with them about the safety of our Socratic seminar, like just being very, very um, specific about how you want them to talk to each other. And that's where the norms come into place. And um, rather than go over all my norms, I'll kind of hit through them quickly. And then if somebody wants them, we can share those. But um, just looking at the speaker and listening to understand rather than listening to respond, those are just life skills, right? Just Mm -hmm things that they need forever and teaching those norms very carefully. And, um, and I bring them up every time we have a Socratic seminar, even to my kids who've been doing it for six years. So, and then just um, using uh, praise and feedback every time. And I use rubric rubrics and you, Andy, you inspired me on the single point rubric because I heard you talk about that. And I applied that to Socratic seminar and it's perfect because I think the single point rubric is perfect for self-reflection because mm-hmm. it's simple and the kids can they're not afraid to be honest on it I don't think because they're not like, giving themselves a one or you know what I mean they they aren't right. afraid to, they aren't afraid to be honest on it it feels like it works really well with Socratic seminar Very so cool. I hope I covered your question um yeah you did yeah. I think a couple things I love that norm of listening to respond versus listening to understand um listening to understand versus listening to <laughs> respond because I think so often I know that I struggle with that. Like I am very bad at, you know, listening to respond or, oh, what am I going to say next? Sometimes just because I get anxious and I just need to prepare myself. But also sometimes that cuts into my listening time. And I'm not, 
I don't really understand their perspective when I'm listening, preparing my response. But I, but I also think that for our gifted learners, so often that's what they've been taught to do is to listen, to respond, especially when they're talking to a peer who maybe they've served as a peer tutor for, or if they're in a class where they're labeled gifted and everybody thinks they're supposed to be the smart one, they've learned that, okay, this is what I do. I listen to respond and then I give the correct answer. And so that skill for our gifted learners of really learning how to listen to understand versus listen, listening to respond is so important. And I love that, that you have that as one of your norms. And I wanted to say really quickly, if you're listening and you're like, huh, what's a single point rubric? I think I've talked about them here on the podcast before. I usually talk about them when I present. I learned about those from Cult of Pedagogy, Jennifer Gonzalez. But you guys, I will put a resource in the show notes. You'll be able to find the show notes at andymcnair.com slash episode 83. So I will put a link to the show notes there. And I will also, uh, from Julie, see if we can get a few of those norms so that I can put those in the show notes and you can check those out too. So I love that, Julie. I think having norms is such a good idea and, and just give Giving them, like you said earlier, that safe space so that it feels like something everyone can be involved in. Um, I think that's a question, and I didn't actually put this in our list of questions, so I'm sorry that we're kind of ad-libbing here, but I do kind of, this, this kind of came up as you were talking. How do you ensure that every student, because I think about in a room where you have a couple of oversharers, or maybe you mm -hmm. have a couple of really talkative students, what do you do to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to share, even if they aren't the type to speak over someone else or to um, kind of insert their opinion? Or their thoughts. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because one of the wonderful things about Socratic Seminar is that it encourages those really shy kids to learn to share because they can make it a goal. Like I have my kids set goals and we just use the norms as goals. So it allows those really shy kids a safe place to share. And then without calling anybody out, I can say things like, hey, if you tend to want to share every single question that is asked. If you tend to want to be the first one to answer, stop and listen and see if somebody else wants to answer first. So those leaders are still being leaders, but also it's good for leaders to learn how to listen. And mm -hmm. so they're getting to do that because I'm reminding them every time, don't be the first one to talk if that's your nature. You know, it's okay if you do some, because sometimes we need you to be the first one to talk, but don't mm -hmm. do it every time. You know, try to, be, I think one of the things that I emphasize so much is let it, allowing them and telling them to look around the room, read the room, like look at their faces, look at your friends, who's trying to talk. And then they start advocating for each other. And like, oh, they're like, hey, y'all, um, Timothy is trying to say something and he's not getting to. So can we let him talk? They do it all the time and it's magic. It's just beautiful. That is so good. And those are those life ready skills, right? That they have oh, to yeah. have knowing how to do that. I, I love that so much. Um, and I love that idea of them learning to advocate for each other, because I think so often um, it's not that our kids won't do that. It's just that they're not always put into those authentic spaces and situations where they're given the opportunity to do that. And so mm -hmm. I love that, too, that it. Um, OK, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to skip a question uh, because okay. this kind of leads right into this. But one of the questions that I had for you was how does a Socratic seminar impact classroom culture? Because as I was thinking about this and kind of watching some examples online, I couldn't help but think like 
this experience, just the idea of sitting around and having academic conversation and making sure everyone gets a turn to talk and sharing their thoughts, that has to, in some way, shape, or form, affect the culture of a classroom. So will you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I really feel like there's a sense of pride that the kids gain from having Socratic seminar. They feel like it's theirs and it's not mine. That's, I think that's one of the most important things that you, Im you impart to your kids is that this is not for Mrs. Lee. This is for you to have a conversation. So there's that sense of pride in their conversation. And I even hear, <clears throat> even though we kind of, we usually, you know, like decompress a little bit after it's over and have a little conversation about it. I hear them say on their own, that was a good one. You know, good job, guys. Yeah. Or, they take ownership. But anyway, just giving them new ways to respond to each other has affected our culture. Like they, um, am I saying a like a lot? I'm too old to be saying that so much. Um, <laughs> we all do. It's <laughs> so um, new ways to respond to each other in class. Like I've heard from other teachers that my gifted kids will go back to class. And in one of their class discussions, they'll say things like, I, when they're responding to someone, I like what you said. I agree with, I agree with it. I agree with most of it, but I want to add this. And those are things we practice like those stems of disagreement because that's mm -hmm. hard for them. And just saying things like, you know, I, I appreciate your opinion. I mean, saying really grown up things that you don't expect to come out of children, but they're saying them, they're using them because that's what they know to say. And so I like what you said. I want to add this or I, I disagree with part of what you said. I appreciate your opinion. You know, just give them stems to use that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and honestly, I think about that and just how much we could use that even as adults now. Like we've gotten to this place in society with social mm -hmm. media. I don't even think we're that great at doing those things as adults. So well, we're not. You're, <laughs> you're giving them those opportunities because I, it just. It amazes me when we as adults say, like, I just cannot get over how this generation, how they speak to each other or how they. And I just want to say, like, have you been on Facebook lately? Because they're not there. That's us. And we're not doing a great job of that either. So I just love that you are giving them the opportunity to learn how to have those conversations. And it, I think as gifted learners, it is often hard or it's often difficult to really think about how do I receive feedback when it isn't good job? You're really smart. Great job. How do I receive that? And then how do I utilize that to grow and do better next time or to be a better person? And yes. so I think yes. they're getting both sides of that. Like they're learning how to give that feedback and also learning how to receive that feedback and do something with it. Right. It, and it, it feels good to them to, to say things in the right way and to hear things said to them in the right way. And so I think mm. that's what feeds it. They keep, they keep doing it. They enjoy that. So and that's, that's part that. of the safety. Yeah. Man, if you're listening and you're still on the fence of like, huh, should I do Socratic seminar? Like just <laughs> the impact that it has on your classroom culture, I think is huge. And I just think our learners need those opportunities, those authentic opportunities so badly right now. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions. I appreciate you doing this so much, Julie. Um, what are your favorite outcomes of a Socratic seminar? I've been talking to educators a lot lately and administrators about really focusing not on what you're implementing. Like it's great if you're using the depth and complexity icons. It's great if you're using Socratic seminar. But what we really want to have conversations around is not just what are we implementing and checking that box, 
but what are the outcomes of that strategy or that idea? So what are some of your favorite outcomes of using this strategy in the classroom? Well, one of the things I think of just, you know, before I was teaching gifted kids, I did this with third graders. So third grade teacher, um, and the star test was heavy on my mind. <laughs> if it is yes. many teachers. Um, they, they use words like analyze on that test. Some of the blooms verbs that I go to mm -hmm. analyze and infer and, you know, just those words that when kids see them on a test, they're just like, okay, whatever analyze is, I guess I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> guess so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So I direct teach those, those verbs to them. And then, we practice them and I feel like those just having those verbs in their vocabulary help them to test better. Plus I tell them like, if you guys can write questions, these people that write the test, they're just writing questions too. It's not some big machine writing the questions. It's just people. And if you guys can do this and they're doing this, you know, it shouldn't be so scary, right? To answer mm -hmm. questions. Um, so I think that's one of the outcomes I felt like not scientifically, scientifically tested, but just, I feel like that was an important outcome, but then, you know, just the critical thinking that comes out of it, just the, the analytical thinking and mm -hmm. curiosity, communication, um, the leadership that's gained through it, um, allowing the, the quiet kids to share in a safe place. I just feel like having pride in what they're doing themselves mm -hmm. and having a deep understanding just of how to analyze things without teacher guidance. Like I remember when I was in college, I was an English major. And so, you know, we were handed literature and write a paper about it. So it was, okay, where do I start with that? I don't know how to analyze anything. Like I, I guess this could be analyzing. I was always guessing. And I feel like kids have that tool they can actually um, be better writers. I take a lot of our topics that we that we use in Socratic seminar, and one of the outcomes is that they become better writers because then we mm -hmm. write about the topics. If you didn't get to say what you wanted to say, say it in writing. And then if you did say what you wanted to say, add some things to it, make it better. But, you know, just one of the, I think, important things about um having them have a conversation on a regular basis. It just, it builds those relationships as well. And just having uh, like gifted kids who struggle a little bit socially sometimes have that bond and have that, that relationship building thing is just so important. Oh gosh, I agree. I mean, like now that I'm listening to this, I mean, I've always known what Socratic seminars are and I think I did a, I think I did it sort of in my classroom. I don't think I did it as well as I probably could have and should have because I never took the time to understand them as well as I maybe should have. But listening to you talk, man, I just think this is so important and something that could happen really in any classroom, a math classroom, a language mm -hmm. arts classroom. I was sharing with you the other day on Instagram that um, I was working with some math teachers the other day and we were talking about this idea and they were like, what would we ask in math? And I was like, I don't know, but you know who does? Chat GPT. So we got on <laughs> and asked Chat GPT to develop some Socratic seminar questions for us to utilize. And they were so excited because they were really great kind of essential type questions that would spark a really great Socratic seminar. And so whether you teach science, social studies, math, whatever it is, whatever grade level, I would imagine that 
um, even if you can't come up with the questions yourself, using artificial intelligence to help you come up with those questions like ChatGPT. Um, in fact, I'll try to put a few examples of those in the show notes. But I, um, I also love that it, lend, it lends itself to them becoming better writers, because I don't know that we always think about that. I don't think we, again, I think this is a good reminder of why it's so important to think about those outcomes, because um, we just don't always do that. Okay, um, so I guess one of my last questions, I've got two more questions. Um, okay. We've talked a lot about the student's role and the learner's role in a Socratic seminar and what they do and what they experience. Uh, what, is a, what does a teacher do during Socratic seminar? What, are they, what does their role look like while their students are having this conversation? It's kind of comical, really. <laughs> I mean, I, I make it a point, I, and I, they see me do this, so they know that I'm doing it intentionally. I get up and I move pretty far away from them, where I can still hear and see everything. But I'm I'm making it very apparent that I'm not in it. I don't want them okay. to feel like I'm hanging over their shoulder and listening. I am listening, but I don't want them to feel like I'm hanging over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I, because and the reason I do that is because I want it just adds to the ownership. It adds to the part that they like the best, that they get to have these conversations and they feel big. They feel how important it is. If, if she, if she trusts us to have this conversation, we better do a good job. And so that's why I, I stay back. Now I, I will intervene if, you know, it goes, you know, the wrong way. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was going to say South. <laughs> We're South, but yeah. <laughs> that's right. If it goes, um, yeah. A negative somewhere. Direction, <laughs> yeah. It's not a good direction. And so I just make sure they, um, you know, they notice that, I'm watching and listening at all times and I might even be writing, you know, but I'm, I'm trusting them. Mm-hmm. And that, that I, what is what I feel like is my role, not only just training them how to write the questions and all the norms and all that, all that is front loaded, you know, that's all before. Mm-hmm. So that's the good. actual seminar, I'm, I'm just back there. I love what you said just now. And I want to make sure that you guys that are listening, I want to make sure you catch this because she said that one of the things that she does as a teacher during this is that she wants to make sure that they know that she trusts them. And so her role is to trust them while they're doing this. And I think that might be one of the things, if if this is anything like Genius Hour for me, that was one of the hardest things for me because I was so accustomed to being in the driver's seat that when I had to trust my learners to be in the driver's seat, oh my gosh, it was so scary. And I, I would imagine that especially with middle school or high school students, you know, turning them loose to have a conversation and you not being close to being like, well, (laughs) we're not going to say that that can be difficult and it can be hard. But if we never loosen those reins, if we never give them the opportunity to share and to make those mistakes and learn those lessons, then they're going to learn them in a place that isn't safe. And, and the classroom should be a safe place. So, man, I just love that idea of the teacher's role being to trust them and to give them those norms. And then I also, I never thought about the idea of kind of sitting further away from them so that they don't feel like you're right there on top of them, like trying to control everything that they say. Yeah. I I think that's the hardest part for teachers, really. Mm -hmm. I think, and not, not to say we're control freaks, but we, you know, we've been taught (laughs) to, I wouldn't say that we, we do, you know, we do want to, we do want to be in on everything because it's our classroom. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is released. Like you were talking about genius hour. It's a release and yeah. we got to do it. 
It's so true, but it's so it's so hard. So I totally get it. Speaking of Genius Hour, I do want to say that I, I think there are so many different ways that you could use Socratic seminars within the passion-based learning process. I, I yes. was thinking about that. Like, I think Socratic seminars could be utilized in the pitch um, when students have pitched their ideas and then maybe utilizing questions to have conversation around that pitch. Um, yes. I don't know. Can you think of any other like ways that it might be used during Genius Hour? Yeah, I was thinking, I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, the pitch was one thing I thought of, and I think that would be great for that. Asking each other some really um, good questions about our each other's projects would mm-hmm. really spur some some thought. But also, when you had a podcast about thought partners, mm, yes. and you said your thought partner, I thought, what if they used, like, Socratic norms with their thought partner? Oh, what if they... Good. We're just um, very respectful, almost like, you know, kind of business-like, kind of like mm-hmm. they they could ask those questions and be so respectful to one another. Like, I really appreciate your project and I like what you're doing, but how about this? Yeah. You thought about this? Just give them some tools to have those conversations. And then um, like even along the way, sometimes along the way, or you could put them in groups of, you know, how you talk about your buckets uh-huh. Yep. A, a genius hour, you know, kind yeah, type. Yes. yes. And could have grouped them. You could group them by bucket and have them have Socratic mm-hmm. seminars. I love so, that. So if you're, if you're not tracking, let me explain real quickly. The bucket <laughs> she's talking about is I always talk about, there are really four different types of genius hour projects. And so you have, uh, let me see if I can do this by memory. Cause I'm not, I'm sitting in our basement and not in front of my computer <laughs> because it's a football night at the McNair house. And oh, we have there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's uh, mastery projects, kindness projects, innovation projects and perspective projects. So thinking about those different types of projects, Julie's saying you could put them in groups um, according to whatever type of project they're working on to have, um, you know, Socratic seminar or that academic discussion about their project. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And now my brain is going all these different directions <laughs> because I'm thinking about what that would look like. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, okay. Well, those are all of the questions that I had, but I do want to say this because if you're listening to this episode, um, you may, have a lot of questions still. You might be like, oh, like, how do I do this? Or maybe you're already doing Socratic seminar and you're thinking like, gosh, now I'm thinking about a lot of different ideas or I want to do these norms that she's talking about. Or, hey, I just want to connect with Julie because she knows a lot about Socratic seminars. Um, I want to talk next about how you can connect with her. But I do want to share with you guys that I have learned so much from her on Instagram. Um, I, if you haven't, if you haven't checked it out this week, we did an Instagram live. It was just a really quick conversation. But um, Julie, will you explain to them how they can connect with you if they have questions about anything that you've shared, where they can find your resources and how they can find you on social media? Sure. Um, Well, my email is a good way to connect with me. It's um, the Socratic sister at gmail.com. That would be a great way to connect. But even better, I think faster would be Instagram at the Mm -hmm. Socratic sister. Just DM me and I would be so happy to, you know, help anyone out that needs help. Um, I would be, I would be happy to put my FAQ sheet up if you wanted to add it to the show notes. Oh, that'd be awesome. It has a lot of like troubleshooting things on it that I shared at TAGT this year. Okay. Um, that would be probably, it might answer some questions so we could put that up in the norms um, that I use. Norms are flexible though. People would probably want to make their own, but it would be a good place to start to look at the ones I use. 
Perfect. Okay. So I will do that. I will share those in the show notes. And Julie shared her email and you can DM her on Instagram. And again, the Socratic sister is where you can find her. And just her content is so helpful. And if you're thinking about doing this, she is definitely the person that you want to talk to. And so I will share those resources, the FAQ and the norms in the show notes. And again, you can find those at andymcnair.com slash episode 83. I'm trying to be better about the show notes. So they will be there. And if you guys can't find something, just let me know and I'll, I'll help you find it for sure. But as always, you guys, I just appreciate you so much being a part of the Meaningful Mess community uh, for listening to the podcast. Julie, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want to share before we shut it down and call it a night? I don't have anything else to share that I can think of, but thank you, Andy, for oh. having me. You are so kind and so patient with my technology issues going on tonight. Craziness, hey, but I appreciate all- you. We all have them. It's just part of, <laughs> part of the journey. Okay. Well, again, thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of A Meaningful Mess. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights for engaging and empowering gifted learners. If you'd like to connect with me and explore more resources, please visit my website at andymcnair.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore meaningful underscore mess for regular updates, discussions, and a vibrant community of educators dedicated to making a difference. Your support means the world to me, and I appreciate you being a part of this journey. If you have any questions, feedback, or topics you'd like for me to explore in future episodes, don't hesitate to reach out. Remember, you have the power to create meaningful and impactful learning experiences for your gifted students. Keep up the fantastic work and thank you for joining me on A Meaningful Mess. Until next time, keep finding meaning in your mess. Happy teaching and learning. I'll talk to you soon.